I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, great to be here. You're listening to the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Oil prices are a bit shaky this week. They've fallen a little, and Brent crude's come down to $83 a barrel, and West Texas is around $79 a barrel. And this is because China are selling off dollars in an attempt to stop depreciation of their own currency, the yuan. And so it's likely if demand for oil falls a bit, prices will drop again. And that's probably good news, unless you're an oil producer, of course. In the United Kingdom, inflation has fallen to 6.8%. That's the CPI measure. That's the Consumer Price Index. Of course, that doesn't mean that everything is suddenly going to be cheaper, because it isn't. That just means that the rate of increase of prices generally across that basket of goods for the Consumer Price Index is not rising quite as fast. But of course, many household items and many purchases that businesses have to make will be rising faster than that CPI measure. In many respects, it's just a very general measure of how things are increasing in price. It's good news that the index has fallen by 1.1% from the month earlier, but whether that's due to policy or not, I know government will claim it's due to their policies. I know that the Bank of England will say it's due to their policies. But of course, there are many other things that contribute to the way that index goes up or comes down. And although we have some respite immediately, the main contribution to that appears to be that gas prices fell during the summer period. So a fall in those energy prices. And however small that fall is, it has a big impact on the index. But it doesn't mean that people will necessarily feel better off, nor does it mean that the problem has gone away and is in retreat, because it's likely to increase again next month. And so this might be just temporary respite. Consumers in the UK are feeling the pinch, and the cost of living crisis has hit housing cost, it's hit travel cost, and it's hit energy cost. And although the energy costs have shown some relief over the summer period, people are now getting concerned that those energy costs could become higher during the winter months. And so the problem of inflation at a personal level is much worse than at a national level. I read an interesting poll this week that was conducted in the last couple of months and it's about people's attitude towards a number of things such as rail travel, bus travel, energy cost and utilities such as water and what was quite striking about this is that most people in the survey thought that railways, energy companies and utility companies should all be taken into public ownership to provide stability to the economy. It was the subject of a book called The Commanding Heights by Daniel Jurgen and Joseph Stanislaw. And in that book they talk about the battle between governments and the marketplace. It's about who should make the decisions on the important assets, government or the market. And many would argue that the market in recent times has actually failed to make decisions in favour of the consumers. 
And if you're going to have a monopoly or an oligopoly that's going to determine the price mechanism in the market, that might as well be the state, so as to protect the users of those particular services. And of course, the public goods. This is about public assets we're talking here. So if you've got public assets like railways, water utilities, electric, gas and other fuel, then those are, in essence, what we're talking about. And that's what people talk about when they talk about public goods in this particular argument. The commanding heights, talking about how it was important for government to take control of state assets. And the state assets that people talk about are often transportation, energy and things that are essential for life, such as water. So, interesting. And the other thing that was striking about the survey is that the people that voted for more state control came from right across the spectrum. So they weren't just voters of the Labour Party in the UK, but they came from other parties or had non-party affiliations. So, attitudes are changing. It's a reflection of how dissatisfied people are with the present situation and the cost of living crisis that they find themselves in. It presents a serious political challenge to all parties because none of them are committed to public ownership at present. The United States has imposed some import duties on solar panel makers who finish off products in Southeast Asian nations to avoid tariffs on Chinese-made goods, according to the Commerce Department. It's a protectionist measure which will help US solar manufacturers to compete. They've struggled to compete with Chinese goods for a number of years. Chinese companies such as BYD, Trina Solar, Vina Solar and Canadian Solar were dodging the US tariffs on solar cells, according to the Commerce Department in the US, by shipping the goods out to Cambodia, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam to finish the items thus avoiding the restrictions against Chinese goods coming into the United States. Those countries accounted for about 80% of all US panel supplies. California's auto regulators said on Friday that they were investigating concerns regarding incidents with vehicles operated by General Motors. It's in respect of the Cruise, a self-driving car, which is owned by GM, and there have been a number of accidents involving those vehicles. So the regulator has asked Cruz to reduce its active fleet by 50% until the investigation is completed. Cruz commented when they said that one of its cars had entered an intersection on a green light and was struck by an emergency vehicle, which was en route to an accident. The car did identify the risk of a collision, initiated a braking manoeuvre, reduced speed, but was unable to get out of the way and the collision took place. We have no further update on this story so far, but it could be that the automotive self-drive car was not necessarily at fault here. Now there are a number of stories about EVs in the news this week and EV supplies. I was interested to note there was a story about the AA in the United Kingdom saying that EVs were no more likely to break down than petrol and diesel cars. It's slightly higher, the ratio, but not as high as 
some people are suggesting, and that's from the call-out logs that they actually have. But of course the AA don't cover every vehicle. They're just one of a number of suppliers of repair and maintenance services at the roadside. But they're a big one. Chinese EV makers are trying to grow the market share in Europe, but they face big challenges, according to news from Reuters. EVs being sold in Europe so far this year, 8% came from Chinese brands, up from 6% last year, and 4% in 2021. At least 11 new mass market China-made EVs will launch by 2025. Chinese EV makers are planning to cut costs and reduce prices in order to gain market share in the European market. But some people in China fear that the automobile industry there is spreading themselves too thin with these expansion plans. The average price of a China-made EV is less than $35,000, that's €32,000, in the first half of 2022. But Chinese brands will struggle to sell EVs as cheaply as they do in China. The logistics, sales taxes, import duties and all the requirements of meeting the European certification requirements add cost to those vehicles. MG is the best-selling brand coming from China into the European market. And they say that the biggest challenge they face is actually getting the cars from China to European distributors with long lead times and saturated ports. European preferences are for big batteries to power long trips and that will also add to the cost. Whereas in China, most of the batteries are built for smaller city trips. There's also an issue of trust, consumer trust. Most EV buyers in the European market don't recognise the Chinese brands and that's a struggle to build confidence for the brand in the market with consumers. Only 14% of German consumers said that they were aware of BYD as the world's second largest EV maker after Tesla. 17% had heard of Neo, which is a premium brand, while 10% knew of Geely's Link & Co and just 8% of Xpeng. 95% of consumers are aware of Tesla, and 10% said they'd consider to buy one as their next vehicle. Several Chinese car makers have five-star safety ratings under European safety standards, going well beyond the legal requirements. GAC is the state-owned Chinese EV third-largest car maker, and they've opened a design bureau in Milan because they want to get a feel for what the consumer preferences are in this European market. So I think there's some resistance, but I think there's resistance anyway to EVs presently with some of the issues that uh, consumers are grappling with to make the adjustment to the new EV challenges, particularly the recharging of the vehicles and, of course, the cost of those vehicles compared to fossil fuel cars. Now, there was an interesting comment this week, and it was about the government's target to increase wind power globally. They've set a target to increase it by five times what it is today by 2030, and many think this is unrealistic. It's going to require a 27 billion US dollar investment, or 21 billion pounds, in the supply chain by 2026. This is according to a report this week. Annual capacity is more likely to increase by 30 gigawatts a year by 2030. 
and that's well below the 80 gigawatts, which is the five-fold growth set by government. That's according to Wood Mackenzie. The supply chain, of course, would have to scale up. When you're talking about a five-fold increase, that's a big change. Nearly 80 gigawatts of annual installations to meet those targets is not realistic, many say. It would require 27 billion US dollars of new investment in the supply chain by 2026 and 100 billion dollars by 2030 for the sector to be able to achieve that. There are also low profit margins on offshore wind production and uncertainty about projects and the timing of those projects and the very different supply chain needs all pose challenges. Solar power is at 12% of all power generated last year and it's now surpassed nuclear power. So this combination of wind, solar and other renewables is posing a major challenge. And are government targets realistic? It's doubtful. A central bank in Russia this week attempted to hike interest rates to 12% to stop a fall in the market price of the ruble. It's fallen 30% this year, so they hiked the rate to 12%, but the currency hardly moved. You'll know that when banks raise interest rates on international markets, they're attempting to push up the price of their own currency by attracting buyers in to buy that currency. So increasing the rate to 12% in this case, it was hoped more people would come into the market and buy rubles attracted by the higher interest rate. But that didn't happen. Russia, of course, was hoping with the 3.5% rate increase to attract more international buyers to buy the ruble. But that didn't work. Not yet, at least. The currency remains unchanged and may decline further. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.